When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to our latest Sentinel podcast with me, Martin Spinks, and my special guest over the table, former Lord Mayor, former journalist, still practising occasionally, big Stoke City fan, that's the main thing, Councillor Anthony Mundy, welcome. Good morning, Martin. Good to see you. you, you you're looking less stressed than when I saw you last, because you did a 12-month stint as Lord Mayor, um, April to April, I think, wasn't it? And uh, May to May. Sorry, May to May. Yeah. Well... I remember when I first found out that you'd been made Lord Mayor. I never knew I'd know somebody so well. He'd get such a glittering title. And I must admit, I was I was quite proud. But you must have been bursting with pride when you first found out. Yes, enormously proud, Martin. When we were covering all them Stoke matches for many years and the old Victoria Ground and the Brit, uh, you know, we never dreamt for one minute to end up as uh, Lord Mayor of the city. Um, but a few years ago, well, it's still actually less than four years ago, I decided to go to fight a by-election in uh, the Milton Badly Green. Not literally fight. <laughs> well, I know it's a bit rough down yeah, there, but yeah. yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's a fight in many ways. Um, and I managed to win the by-election and become a, a city independent local councillor, thinking no more than to sort of continue, I suppose, the work I've done in the local community with the local youth groups and football teams and um, the community association. But then, obviously, in May 2015, um, uh, the, the uh, local elections took place and the city independents where the Conservatives have since then ran the council. And then the, the leader of the council, who I, I sort of struck up a great rapport with, as many like, these were very much alike in many ways. And um, he uh, asked me to be his assistant for a year, so I had a year's assistant to the leader of the council. And then he phoned me up one morning just uh, just out the <laughs> you want to be Lord Mayor? And crikey, you know, usually people are councillors for 10 years or more before they're even considered to be Lord Mayor. So I said, are you sure? You know, I've only been a councillor five minutes. And he says, I want you to do it. I said, well, let me have a think about it. And uh, he said, you've got 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So the thinking about Is that how long it took? Yeah, well, the thinking about it was just to have a word um, with my wife, uh, of course, because Lady Mayoress has to take on mm-hmm. our duties as well. And um, we took within, you know, within seconds. It just knew you couldn't turn down that possibility, that chance. You know, when Mum and Dad, sadly no longer here, would be shouting down at me with them and being enormously proud. And uh, you know, fair citizen out of a quarter of a million people, you know, it, it was uh, an enormous honour and one Absolutely. I hope he embraced and, and gave me all to uh, fulfil. I think everybody would say mm-hmm. that you did. did. Did you count up roughly how many engagements you, you took part uh, in? Very close to 500. Uh, in 12 very, months? Yeah, yeah. Because your life isn't your own, is it, once you take no, on that office? No, I decided to be very, it's one year. It's 365 days. I think I had uh, we had one holiday to it, which was already booked actually. At the after I had about six weeks, and then we went away on a cruise for ten days. And other than that, it was virtually seven days a week throughout. 
kept uh, lost my voice a couple of times, and it was um, it was it was tough, but in, incredibly enjoyable as well. Incredibly um, amazing experience. I had uh, real warmth everywhere I went, and there must have been uh, thousands of handshakes. Yes. Did, did you perfect the, the art of the handshake? Yeah, I think so. After a while. <laughs> and speeches, of course. Yeah, speeches um, started off sort of writing out a bit, little bit nervous and, and writing speeches down on paper and, and reading from the paper that never come over naturally so then it was you know a few bullet points uh, in my pocket just in case and and actually been doing it for a while it just as you know I don't have too much trouble talking <laughs> comes, comes naturally uh, yeah so it, it was you know it far na more naturally if you just go and talk to people really and you know you've got a fair idea of this subject mm -hmm. you do you your homework before you go to, to whatever assignment it is. I uh, just try my best to give every assignment 100%, so whether it was something that was yeah, massively Make them feel special. Yeah, everyone yeah. who greets the Lord Mayor should be uh, made to feel special, and I did really try to do that. Who were the most famous people you, you met in your capacity? Um, royalty? Yes, royalty, they'd have to be the, the main two. Within three days I met uh, Princess Royal, uh, performing Princess Anne at the Hayward Hospital. She did a visit there and we had a, a few words and she'd obviously done her own work. She knew it only just taken post and mm -hmm. uh, she was uh, very nice, incredibly uh, professional as you'd expect with her speeches and different things. She was there mostly to uh, see the real people, what matter, of course, the clinicians and the doctors, and and she was uh, superb with them. Um, and then um, we met the Countess of Wessex uh, towards the end of, of Mirraine, uh, Sophie. Uh, that's Edward's wife. Uh, yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, she came to Action for Blind in Hanley, and I'd been there previously as Lord Mayor, and was asked to go into Greta to the city there and she was uh, absolutely lovely and um, I, I joined the year I, I became uh, quite good friends really with the Lord Lieutenant of Staffordshire Ian Dudson who's a, a really uh, terrific gentleman and, um, and Ian uh, said to me that uh, Sophie was his favourite royal and I'm not surprised having, having a well good five minute chat to her she was you say this you know very ordinary but we were all the same aren't mm. we that's I suppose if there was somebody you could have met who's alive, you could have welcomed to Stoke-on-Trent last year, who would that have been if you could have had anybody who's alive? Crikey, that's a, that is a question. Um, I always used to say I'd love to have met uh, Mahmoud Ali, and, yeah. and obviously never got to meet him. He's alive now. Donald Trump? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. And, I'll uh, take that as a no. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, I don't want to get into no, no. debate. I, I think we need something in between, really. Um, he is very forthright and says what he means, but uh, he's gone a bit too far the other way, I think. Yeah. Uh, if, if there was one engagement you could relive, only one, which one would that be, Ant? Um, I suppose what, what was an incredibly special night was the Lord Mayor's Ball at the King's Hall. Uh, we managed to sell that out with 465 people had a fantastic uh, soul and Motown band on the best soul and Motown singer in the UK uh, um, Diane Shaw uh, the Lord Mayor's secretary Denise Powell looked at me uh, when I said I wanted to sign Diane up for it and she costs a lot of money in saying you realise you've got to sell 
300 tickets just to break even and we don't usually sell more than 250 and, and I, I took the <laughs> big decision to say let's go for it and and uh, the people got behind me incredibly well, 465 packed the place and uh, walking in that night to 465 people standing in and applauding was uh, you know, just send a shiver down your spine, it was absolutely incredibly special and um, obviously from the Stoke City Lake, the Stoke City old boys were incredibly supportive throughout the year as, as well Mayor and they had a table there with you know with Dennis was there, Dennis Smith and Terry Conroy and uh, several of the 72 team and um, and I just said and Jimmy, Jimmy Greenoff and I just said you know, in 1972 when there's 100,000 people at Wembley and I'm at the back with my dad just two little dots towards the right at the back of the, of the stadium if I thought in time I'd be hosting a dinner attended by who were my uh, superheroes, not just heroes, you know, I would have thought, you know, it was uh, absolutely no chance, so it was uh, very special, and uh, lots of family and friends and all the local businesses got behind me, and, and we actually sold out two months in advance in the end, and could have sold probably a lot mm. more, so mm. no, that was special, uh, special for the night, and I was really touched by how people really had rallied around behind me, and uh, come along so it was, a, it was a great night but you had to give it all up after 12 months you weren't tempted to change the rules so you could <laughs> carry on I mean, you, I mean you must miss the free meals and the chauffeur yeah. come on Ant. yeah yeah well definitely yes I've done uh, more miles and I've filled my car up more times in the last two months than I did in 12 months of course because uh, you, you sort of driven through all these engagements and you don't get much chance to do anything else really didn't have any other holidays other than the, the cruise for, uh, just said for mm. 10 days so no, it, it, it was very special, but I always knew that it was for 12 months. I always knew... You could throw yourself throw into yourself it. Throw yourself at yeah. it, and, and when the 12 months is over, that's it. And uh, I'm not one everybody said, oh, I bet you're really sad to, to, to see it go, and this, that, and the other. And this, of course, is a tinge of sadness, but I'm always one who looks ahead. Obviously, the leader, after he'd finished this role, would ask me to become cabinet member in, for Greener City Development and Leisure, so enormous task I've got on, on my plate now. So I didn't really get a great lot of chance to think about things or finish one job. I did have 10 days off after I finished as Lord Mayor and that 10 days, I've never known 10 days to go so quick in my life. It was almost as if it was a blink of an eye, literally I was, and then straight back into this uh, new job, enormously and cared for me again. Lots of uh, long days and, and reading at night to, to learn a broad-based knowledge of what I've got to try and help to achieve, obviously without being um, too uh, to get too deep into these things, uh, the money is incredibly scarce now. You know, um, um, it, it's really these cuts and more cuts are really biting, biting, and I am fighting now for for money in the services side, so to come under my portfolio and. You know, it's uh, the big danger is the the social care budget's going to eat up everything. Um, mm. But uh, you probably don't want to go too deep. Those are battles, battles ahead, and yeah. I know you'll fight mm. them on, on behalf of the city. Mm. But before you were Lord Mayor, you were mm. were a bit of humble journalist. Mm. How did you get into that? Was that something you'd always dreamt about, or you uh, stumbled into it? No, I've got to pay a great tribute to my great friend uh, Dave Smith here because um, ex Sentinel. Yeah, ex Sentinel. 
what happened basically is I uh, I didn't make the most of my education really. I wasn't uh, very studious, and I'd be much rather out playing football and climbing uh. trees and uh, <laughs> dodging on the back nine of the golf course up at Greenway Hall and smacking a few balls around and studying. And I didn't do as well in my exams as I should have done. I ended up with five O levels, and so. But I. Um, I ended up uh, working in Royal Daltons and, uh, for two or three years, maybe four years, and just doing initially just as a fill-in job, uh, but it became four years, you know, emptying wagons and and uh, moving wear around in the warehouse at Fenton. I have to say, I made some great friends and remain friends now and had some good times there. But I always wanted, felt as if I could do more. Um, and I did try to do different things and I was thinking again to computers I taught myself how to type um, and then um, it's a lucky break I was playing football for the Bennett's Pub at Kobe's at Sneed Cricket Ground I went in for a tackle uh, somebody a bit naughty went over the ball snapped my leg in straight in two and my, leg, my foot was sticking the other direction uh, in them days this is 1986 there was no real way back from that and I didn't to play, I play much at all after that, um, other than five sides. And um, anyway, while I was off with a plaster cast from my foot to uh, my groin, <laughs> Dave Smith uh, was running a paper in, um, in Cheshire called Ad News. Um, and Congleton also came into Biddulph and he asked me to do some football reports for him on Nipersley Vicks and uh, Congleton Town. And, uh, I went and did them and he thought they were good and got me to do a, a sports page in the end and phone rugby teams and this and the other hockey results, got all that sorted and then he offered me a job and uh, and I was, Dave had great confidence in me and I, I did have confidence in myself and I was a bit like a dog with a bone then and under Dave uh, Smith obviously left the Sentinel, went to um, start Smith Davies Press which is proved incredibly successful and uh, under Dave and Pete Davis uh, uh, sort of covered everything from a mother's meeting in a flower raising do to terrorism, murder stories. Well we'd, o- we'd often meet out on the street yeah, so to speak yeah, in jobs, yeah. that's how you yeah. and I first met and, and obviously at the football grounds, so yeah. Danvale. We had a very similar uh, mm. training didn't we, you with Raymond's and I, obviously I went to Raymond's later. We, you know, again that broad based uh, training, yeah. you see now these you know, loads of different people going for these sports journalism courses. He, he, I'm sorry, it's a nonsense to me. You should get in there and learn the basics first, and then you can be more employable. So now you start having hundred sports journalists when there's only three jobs. Mm. You know, it's a mm. bit silly to me, but um, it's a different picture now. It is. We had a great, we had a great uh, time, didn't we? You know. Well, we, I mean, I, I was thinking football-wise. Um, yeah. Talking the nineties, the rivalry between Stoke and Vale. It was great for the fans and great for us to report on, wasn't it? It was. It was fantastic because as a as a kid, obviously Stoke were always there, doing very well in the uh, first division, and as was and Vale were always languishing somewhere to midway to the bottom uh, end of the fourth division, uh, and there wasn't a great deal of rivalry, and it was a lot of Mickey taking and the Stoke fans out of Vale fans and. And you can understand when Vale, John Rudge actually got Vale above Stoke, that the Vale fans really got their own back on after being 
taking the mickey out of for so many years, they didn't half give it to Stoke fans and the Stoke fans didn't like it. And some of them derbies sort of mirrored that. You saw the massive passion that uh, some of the Vale players had and some of the Stoke players at the time didn't stand up to it very well and, and they beat us a few times, didn't they, in that period. And, uh, of course, we had a rivalry between uh, you know, John Rudge and, and Lou and, uh, and that was that was good. So, no, it was a... I had a great time watching Stoke from 1968, the first game, and, and through them golden years and then reporting it, it was very interesting and, and obviously again it was something never dreamed about he'd be sitting there interviewing Lou McCarry every week and John Rudge and Mick Mills before that and Joe, Joe Jordan which you yeah. always enjoyed doing were you <laughs> yeah. there were you there that day he joined Stoke and he was asked about the time he broke Kevin Sheldon's leg when he was playing for Leeds against Stoke I was and, and I the was look on his yeah. face and that was the end of the press conference yeah, that, of course that was it it wasn't yeah. your question was it yeah it wasn't mine <laughs> I know when um, I met, I was with Kevin and Sheldon a few weeks ago actually, as um, Mike Pezik, very, uh, uh, thankfully he asked me to go to his, his wedding, my mm. recent wedding, and uh, we had a great day there, didn't we? It was a, a wedding and a half, and I was speaking to Bobby Sheldon there uh, about it, and yes, I remember that very well. And, I think that set the tone for Joe Stay because he never really... Uh, he wasn't the easiest to interview, no, was he? No. Get him onto Italian football, he couldn't shut him up, but talk about yeah. Stoke. No, he, he didn't want to know, did he? But no, it was such a... a and he was a contrast to Lou, wasn't he, which was difficult for us perhaps to get to grips with. He was. Mm. Obviously, I've worked with Lou a lot now on the Macquarie Centre and the homeless people thing. Lou got on to me as soon as I became a counsellor to try and help homeless people. Lou's passionate about that. Well, got on with... I think we all got on with Lou because when he was a manager because he just he just you know it was all so relaxed but Lou knew if he won matches he was going to be a hero if he lost matches he'd be sacked and, and nothing really in between and if all managers saw that rather than making excuses and this that, and the other at the end of the day that's the only two things that matter yeah and, results uh, yeah it's results and uh, he, he didn't uh, use a stokey phrase, he never marred, he didn't marred arse about anything, he, he, he never seemed uh, sort of up himself or, you know, and, you know, who are you to ask me that or whatever, and... Um, He'd often ask your opinion, actually. Yeah, he, he would, he, he, well, we, we went in there, didn't we? I mean, now you see sort of Mark Hughes, how things have changed, Mark Hughes. We have to get in through the, the gates down at the training ground and the managers at the front with a pool of journalists. In them days, we used to turn up and Nalo would uh, make us a cup of tea and throw one over us now and Lou's again. dog would be wandering Lou's, down the corridor. Yeah, Lou's lovely yeah, uh, golden Labrador wandering about and we'd go in and he'd tell us, um, you know, the, the team news and he'd probably tell us a couple of things off the record just to mark a card. but not for printing wise and so he trusted us, he had that trust there and then he'd be telling us stories like Alex Stepney getting drunk and falling over the roulette wheel and, and all this and, and how he used to, when Lou saw he used to walk and bike and, and go by train every day to his uh, training sessions at Celtic and yeah. you know how much uh, the world's changed, I think uh, the world's changed in some cases for the better but I think a lot for the worse and, uh, and um, I think uh, respect uh, for people, for each other, and the, the communities you live in, and um, 
I think inevitably really is, you know, these they become superstars now, don't they? They can't really walk around uh, Hanley in the no. middle of the day and and the fact, you know, that is that is a bit sad really. He used to go on the the bus. I mean, uh, Garth Crooks used to be on the bus going down to Stoke with us, catching the bus at Abbey Alton and you know, you'd see the lads in the local nightclubs and have a word and things and Doddy and Danny Smith and them would always be around there but uh, you know, he's changed, isn't he? Yeah. He's changed. Yeah. Very much so. Let's wind the clock back to when you were a Stoke fan. That I presume was always going to be the case family wise. Can you remember your first match? You I can say 68. I can very much. It was 1968, but uh, the story was. You must have been very young. I was very young, but <laughs> I. What happened was is I was actually first as a boy, Everton fan. Everton had this incredible side with Alan Ball, who was my favourite player. Uh-huh. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't hit it off at all when he was minded. I didn't know that. And we had a really. Uh, difficult relationship. I think I asked him one question, I even forgot what it was and he took umbrage to it and really uh, sort of never got on it, which is a bit of a shame. He was my hero as a, as a very young boy and the first ever strip I had was a, an Everton strip with a number eight on and I bought it on Christmas Day. I don't think he took it off for three months. I was running around smacking the ball in the net in the back garden. and. Um, Anyway, I wanted to go watch Everton play Stoke, and you've got Brian LeBone and, and Morrissey and Husband and uh, Gordon West in goal and Joe Royal up front and, and of course Alan Ball buzzing everywhere. And I went to watch Stoke in the Butler Street stand, the part which got burned down <laughs> eventually with my brother and my dad. And it was a nil-nil draw, I think uh, Stoke defended for 89 of the 90 minutes and about the, the stats from last weekend, the Arsenal game, I think this must have been 98, 2% I think, was Stoke hung on somehow with uh, Gordon making several uh, saves and um, the bar and post intervening and we got a point. But I remember when I came home I thought, well you know, I'm, I'm from Stoke, uh, I'm supporting Everton, I should be supporting Stoke. So. I soon had a, a number nine Stoke shirt with John Ritchie. Oh, that's more like it. That was it. What happened to the Alan Ball shirt? Uh, no idea. No idea. <laughs> I should have gave it to him. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't no. always the easiest to get on with. No, no. God, God rest his soul. And yeah. incredibly sad when he heard the news that he, he passed away. And uh, he, well, I thought he was a fabulous player, Alan Ball. He just seemed to be everywhere ubiquitous that we used, mm. used to use, wasn't it? For, he just seemed to be all over the place and he used to, you know, Kenneth Walton and saying he goes ball again down there running himself daft and that was about it in every game. He, he was a terrific little player and uh, it was a shame sort of it didn't work out for him as the manager of Stoke because I wish he really had done. Yeah. Um, but but now from that day I remember my second match um, was a, probably a couple of months after then it was a it was a Boxing Day fixture against Nottingham Forest, and this time again in the Butler Street paddock, but the other sorry Butler Street paddock rather than stand this time towards the old town end when it was all mm-hmm. open, and uh, losing against Nottingham Forest one 0 at half time. And I speak to Terry Conroy about this many times, and he remembers it well. He picked the ball up in front of me, which is left hand corner of the penalty area, proceeded to run through the entire. Nottingham Forest side and slot it away and make it uh, one all. And I think George Easton scored that day and 
uh, and it was a 3-1 win for Stoke and that was it, it was hooped then and you know, it was after soon to get into 10 years old, I was getting to some away matches with my brother and things and, and uh, I, I watched literally every Stoke match up until I was 16, 17 when I started to play, I play a little bit then with the uh, Holden Lane uh, at first on Saturdays. Um, so when you look through the, the ages, mm-hmm. 30, 40 years at mm-hmm. the club, just list the names that the, the players you remember who really touched you, who were real favourites for you, going through chronologically. Yeah, if we were talking sort of, you know, Jimmy Greenoff was always the, the golden boy, wasn't he? And, and he was a massive hero of mine. With Ted, I spent all, you know, Dennis Harder's nails coming over and for slide tackle. And Did you model yourself on anybody in the playground? <laughs> I did, I did used like a tackle. I was uh, never. The so you were Dennis Smith player. then? Yeah, I, w- yeah. I wouldn't. Uh, I didn't lose many 50-50 balls, and I probably wouldn't have lost that one if that bloke hadn't uh, snapped my leg in half. But there you go. Um, you know, we yeah, I did love Danny. Said Bluto was Bluto Blore, of course, was uh, the silent assassin. <laughs> he was hard as nails. Uh, Mick Bernard was a really good player. Dove and floated over the ground and. All that side really were all, all great heroes. John Marsh I know quite well now and he, him and Pedge were like wingers as well as he's talking about. They'd have fitted this. I wish Stoke had John Marsh and Mick Pedrick in the wing-back roles now because they could whip down that wing and they could deliver real quality into the box as well. Um, and then sort of, as, as you move through time, obviously, you know, you've got Mark Steen smashing all the goals in and, and Sharon and, and uh, Vince Oberson and Ian Cranston eventually became, you know, I remember writing one report because he'd had so many injuries mm-hmm. saying to get Ian off the wage bill. Unfortunately, you know, we'd paid this 450 grand or whatever yeah. it was and, and he got these two terrible injuries and I thought he wasn't going to do anything and he totally proved me wrong. He came back and had some terrific seasons alongside Vince Oberson. It was a partnership. Rock, rock, rock solid partnership there. But then, you know, you, you've developed on then and you come into your Tony Poolish days and, and I really got on well with Tony and actually sat with Tony at the Stanley Matthews function uh, last year at Keel and um, and we had a real good natter because um, we used to sort of interview Tony every week and I found Tony very similar to Lou actually, mm. uh, very, very strong-minded, you know, very single-minded because they know what they want and know how to get there and there's nothing wrong with that of course but I always found Tony if you asked him a proper question he'd give you a proper answer if he could uh, he would never be uh, you know uh, too big to answer anything or throw his toys out of the pram if you give him a little bit of criticism now and again which unfortunately does happen these days um, no I, I really liked Tony and, uh, and got on with him very well similar to live and there were similar styles about getting players super fit well organised Great team spirit, you know that 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 uh, beats fancy dance nine times out of ten. <laughs> when you were in the press box, did your emotions ever spill over as a Stoke fan? Oh yeah. I'm thinking <laughs> perhaps at Wembley promotion, whatever. Yeah, they always used to do, and I got criticised for it time and time again. What by other journalists? Yeah, if Stoke scored, I've, I've jumped out my seat or jumped up in the air every time a Stoke has scored since I was eight years old. So I'm not going to change. <laughs> Just because I'm in a press box, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't that professional. It wouldn't be a, 
a jumping up and down thing, it would be more maybe a fist in the air or a quick jump to my feet and instantly back in my seat again. And actually, uh, <laughs> last year you get invited to a Stoke match by uh, Stoke City, and I was in the um, director's box last year in Stoke played Liverpool. And I've got uh, the deputy Lord Lieutenant Graham Stowe, a bit of Liverpool fan behind me. Uh, is it Lord Howard, Michael Howard? Oh, yeah. yeah. Is that right behind me? Uh, yeah. He's a massive Liverpool fan, of course. Uh, Shakiri crosses, Walter Zeddy Tim, of course, me with me changing everything. I'm off my feet and taking off. <laughs> and the look on Lord Howard's face says, What the hell is he doing? And even perhaps some of the Stoke people with too. And I'm a butter. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what they think. You are what you are, Stokey at heart. Um, obviously, you were, you were Peter Coates' guest that day, and I just want to wind up, Anne, by, by looking into the future. And I know you're a huge fan of what the Coates family have done, but the time will come, we don't know when, when they probably will sell. Do you worry, with all the foreign ownership in the game now, that your beloved club will pa- perhaps pass into foreign hands? And, and you as, as fans will lose just a bit of control over your own club because it will be overseas ownership rather than local ownership by genuine fans. Yes, if that day happens in, in my lifetime, obviously, you know, maybe John uh, will take over. I don't know. I don't know that situation at all. I have no idea. Um, I wouldn't like uh, Stone City to go into foreign ownership. Obviously, there's some foreign owners who, who've proved to be terrific owners and, and invested incredible amounts of money in, in their clubs. But uh, no, I'm delighted that uh, Peter and the family uh, are running Stoke City. Um, I think they do it very, very sensibly. Peter understands football as well. Of course, many chairmen don't understand football and, and start meddling in the... the uh, the manager's job, they seem to be, think they can be a football manager, maybe one who was recently at Port Vale and still the, the chairman down there. Uh, he appointed a person to do a job and let them get on with it. Now and again, you might need a uh, told to, you know, this isn't good enough or, you know, we need to do better. But, you know, no, I think the coach family, as well as sort of doing great for Stoke City, I mean, what you think about the employee, <coughs> nearly 4,000 people in the city. Uh, the Denise Coast Foundation puts money into a lot more things than a lot of people think. And, um, you know, the, the, the massive success of Bet365, which seems to keep going on and on and on. And, you know, they've got incredible facilities down there at Festival Park. And it was great to see uh, the, the planning committee now pass this. You have their own gyms and football facilities for the staff down there, which is which is mm. fabulous. Um, no, I, I, to answer your question, Martin, you know, off the tap there, that he, no, I wouldn't like to see Stoke City in foreign ownership, uh, but it, it could happen, and if it does, you just got to hope you get someone who, who's really going to put the put the money uh, where it is, because football clubs or even football clubs as sadly Port Vale did find as even when there's no money there if you get the likes of uh, Mr Deakin and Mr Miller there they'll still take money out when there isn't any there you know and leave you in a horrendous mess which uh, Vale only just managed to scrape through without um, sinking into oblivion um, so it's all about quality of people more than anything we know for a fact well Peter and his family are in charge it's going to run a good steady ship some people 
say, oh, they could spend more money in this, that and the other, but that's not necessarily going to guarantee success anyway. And, of course, we could all spend other people's money, couldn't we? You know? So, um, no, no, I hope it, hope it doesn't happen. Um, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure to see you again, Martin. Um, it's uh, great to be down here at the Sentinel. Wish the Sentinel all the success for the future as well.